Hey, and welcome to Minions and Misfits, the family-friendly, actual-play, off-kilter, tabletop RPG podcast where, instead of playing as archetypal heroes, we assume the role of common grunts and monsters. My name is Sam, and today we will be playing... Nothing! That's right. Today we are celebrating our first anniversary. That's one year of Minions and Misfits. And we're doing that by introducing to you guys a new show we are calling makers and misfits where we interview some of our favorite creators in the tabletop rpg space and podcasting space to give you sort of an insight into the people who have inspired us to create the podcast that you listen to every week or every other week and we're super excited for uh this first episode because we are interviewing some of my very favorite D&D podcast people, and that is Dumb Dumbs and Dices, Ryan LaPlante, and Tom McGee. Now, if you're not a, uh, familiar with Dumb Dumbs and Dice, they are a uh, like D&D role-playing company, or more of a tabletop role-playing company, because they play all sorts of games. They play uh, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, they play uh, 40K, they play all these wonderful games, but... Their, their main attraction is they take improvisers who are trained in comedy and in drama, and they take them and they let them play games that they've never played before. And if you've not listened to this podcast, while uh, it's not family appropriate, it is a really wonderful, funny, and enduring, and charming podcast that uh, you know I get a lot out of. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the first episode of Makers and Misfits with Tom McGee and Ryan LaPlante. Perfect. Wow, that was close to perfect. I, like <laughs> I, uh, I silent clapped. I'm an idiot. I literally cupped my hands to not spike the mic. So there is a little blip. I'll find it. <laughs> and listen for the gentlest whoosh. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing gloves, you know. Just... Right. All right, guys. Yeah. We are here with uh, two of my, like nerd uh role models if you will uh with we're here with ryan laplante and tom mcgee from dum dums and dragons uh i've listened to them so much that i can like do the whole intro spiel where it's like it's tom at, at uh, mcgee td on twitter and ryan laplante at ryan laplante on twitter uh but they're here from dum dums and dice uh we're very thankful that they're here uh guys um so i guess we'll just jump into it you two run a really wonderful uh you know I don't know what you would call it, gaming network, because you have more than just the D&D 5e game. Uh, what got you started in tabletop? Oh, Tom, you started with tabletop earlier than I did in this world, so why don't you wander us Sure, the yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So I, uh, my my humble uh, origin story was like, I, I loved board games, uh, and I loved Star Wars. So uh, when Wizards of the Coast released their, it was around the time Phantom Menace came out, they released a box uh, a starter box for like the Star Wars 3.5 ish thing. And it looked enough like a board game that I was like, hell yeah, I want this Star Wars. And I got home. I was like, oh, cool. You can punch out all these little like Jedi characters and everything else. And then I started reading the book and I was like, but wait a minute, where are the rules? Where is the what? And it, it broke my brain for a hot second because <laughs> making that little jump from a board game where you have a set number of things you can do and a set way you can do them into no, you tell the story, and then the rules will kind of support that, uh, as I often describe it to, to folks who haven't played. It's playground rules where it's like, I have a laser. Okay, well, I have a laser-proof shield. It's like, okay, but my laser goes through your laser-proof shield. It's like, you want to skip that. 
and uh, that the rules kind of give you that. So that was my my like very very first introduction. I couldn't find anyone to play with, and weirdly, our show Dumb Scum is like the plot I eventually came up with for that system, <laughs> and couldn't find anyone to play with till university. Um, but in terms of D and D, I played a lot of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. It was my first real introduction to the D and D universe. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And uh, when the opportunity came up to um, to play a bit, uh, I uh, I ran a, I played a very ill-fated 3.5 campaign that a friend of mine ran at the local cafe in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. It was based on Yu-Gi-Oh cards, so we were all a Yu-Gi-Oh card character, made no sense. And we decided not to continue with the adventure because we all just settled down in a house of a guy we killed and decided to live. And he was like, I don't know what to do with this. And we're like, sorry, we're, we're happy now. We're happy mutants. So again, that was my, my second taste of like, oh, you can, there are no rails here. Like this thing really can can just go. Um, and then finally, uh, the, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back for me was um, listening to Acquisitions, Inc. and uh, the, the very first... Uh, campaign and like I was working as a temp and hearing the story told professionally by uh, I think it was Perkins was running that one but like mm-hmm. hearing the story told professionally um, but also finding so much joy and entertainment while I was stuck in just a mind-numbingly boring data entry temp job um, really kind of awoken me to the uh, comedic potential this was like the dawn of Jim Dark Magic and all that uh, and that got me really excited to play. So then I would take any opportunity I could. Um, even uh, it drove my ex completely nuts. I had no idea why I was doing this. And uh, then eventually Ryan put out the call. He put out the bat signal being like, we need a DM who can run a comedy game. And I was uh, at that point really jealous that I wasn't on Garbage Town. So I was like, I'll do it. But also <laughs> I just quit playing D&D forever. Is that going to be a problem? Ryan's <laughs> like, well, we have to do it because it's a weekly show. So that gives us a reason to schedule it. It gets out of all the scheduling problems. And we're doing it for an audience, so that adds a little bit. So I went from being like, this is consuming too much of my brain, I can't write, I can't schedule, I'm losing my mind, to like, okay, I guess I'll do this, and we'll run it for a couple months. And that was like five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's my origin story. Ryan, how about you? Yeah, for me, when it came to role-playing games, uh, I probably started out in the earliest iteration with Hero Quest in the 90s. Oh, man, what a classic. That it was, was online, there... right? That was like the... Oh, was it started as... A box set. It showed oh, wow. up, but it was yeah, like the, was uh, the board game. Just, yeah, it became bed, other things, but I have the toilet version, which is where Ryan starts with anything. Uh, <laughs> but I played that board game, and then I, I ended up getting obsessed with Warhammer 40,000, and then I discovered Vampire the Masquerade, and I think I compulsively read every rule book because I was a child who was uh, very into vampires, one might say. <laughs> uh, and I read all the books, but I had nobody to play with. And then I got caught up in theater and performance and acting, and I think I had one D&D night in college where somebody on my floor was like I want to play D&D and I got roped in and I was like everybody's playing to win it seems like the DM is punishing me for choices I do not understand what this is this feels like a terrible video game and then I didn't role play again for like six years until I started hearing comedians play games and I had gone on to I've gone through the Second City training program I've done their improv conservatory I did a ton of sketch and improv and all that kind of stuff and hearing comedians play it I was like ooh this is just long form storytelling where dice decide if you win or lose so it isn't just yes and forever this is great (laughs) we need to do this but I am also a workaholic so I knew if I just started up like a casual game it was gonna die and I was like the only way I'll do it is if I rope in the people I would want to play with anyways but if it's a show 
quitting is a really big deal, even though none of us are making any money and we're all losing money doing this. It'll still feel important. And that's how our D&D campaign is still continuing six years later. Tom was literally a bad signal. We'd known each other from, since university. We'd gone to school together. We'd done some shows. I blinded him in a Shakespearean production. I was Gloucester, and he just didn't care for my eyes. You know? Nope. Just, and I yeah. died before intermission, so I went to the bar for the second act. But... Uh, a couple of years later, I just posted saying, like, we need a DM if there's somebody who's interested in coming and kind of recording this. We have the players, and the hook for the show is that it's comedians and improvisers playing for the first time. We have a bank of guests, just like people who can come in and kind of be a new character for an arc and disappear. Uh, and we had to find the right person, and Tom volunteered. And now Tom and I are the very best of friends who've worked together in real life since and a bunch of other things. We know each other far too well, and we're six years in, uh, I think, seven seasons I'm going to have to check the episode number, but it's in the hundreds uh, of th- this series on an ongoing basis. I think uh, 300, uh, Tom earlier. Yeah, you 24 episodes. Right? Oh, Ooh. wow. Goodness gracious. 93 Man. of which are just season six. <laughs> I, I'm like 30. I'm like in season six, episode 30. I'm still not all the way caught up, but I'm I'm a decent way there. It is. Oh, I love it. It's um. so you kind of just answered the question of like why you started recording. So really that uh description you put in it that that is really what y'all did you so ryan you did not even know the rules when y'all started recording then or you none maybe of had a loose grasp none of the players had any clue we'd all looked at the book maybe once tom helped us build the characters so we came in with the ideas that we'd like looked at you know the species we could play and the classes and kind of had rough ideas for like the narrative hook but no i mean in the very first episode we're at a bar and i'm like i do i roll to drink a beer like i don't know what this does (laughs) in 3.5 you do yes (laughs) i thank god i dodged that era so um no none of our players had ever played DD before i'd done like that one half strange night i don't think tyler played at all laura had not played at all and our guests coming in maybe one in ten had actually played D before we were really leaning on the improv and then tom to graciously carry us <laughs> through a whole marathon i now know looking back of all of the rules and everything uh, he's a hero well and i'd uh so i eventually ran what would become dumb scum and villainy in university with some buds and similarly like one person knew D really well and then the other two didn't it was just like drama nerds and me in the drama nerd basement and uh, we had a my buddy Evan was playing a guy named uh, he was a Mon Calamari named Ted, uh, <laughs> and then my my buddy uh, Chris Oldfield uh, decided to make a soldier character. Chris is from Napanee, which is the home of Avril Lavigne, the skater boy uh, of skater boy fame. Uh, and he wasn't there that day, so we decided to just call the soldier Avril. So he played a soldier named Avril and was just doing crazy stuff all the time. And it led me to create this system for them uh, called heroic checks, where I was like, whenever they'd say, "Can I do this?" and I'd look in the rule book, and it was like. The 3.5 rulebook for Star Wars was basically 3.5 D&D, but, like, if you just dumped a bucket of Star Wars nonsense on it. So there's a lot of, like, yeah, you can use the Force, but, like, it makes you fall asleep. Like, it was just it was really badly designed. <laughs> um, so I was just kind of like, okay, well, screw it. We need something to let you, you know, if, if Ted the Mon Calamari diplomat wants to go fist fight a stormtrooper, I kind of need something for that that isn't just a roll to hit. Or, like, if Avril <laughs> wants to MacGyver a grenade launcher to blast himself off a wall and like swing under a tank there's no rule for that and i need something for that which weirdly prepped me extraordinarily well for coming into the environment of of dum-dums but uh ryan putting his producer hat on very cleverly off the top was like there are a lot of shows where people are playing D, &D and that's fine but uh i don't see a lot where it's like people who didn't show up for D &D playing D, &D. 
You know, like even if you look at Critical Role, it was like it was their home game. They're all playing D and D, and then they like kind of merged out of that. Obviously, something like Acquisitions Inc. It was like very purposefully like we are going to play a D and D game. And one of the joys of particularly early Dum Dums was just literally like, you all have the skills to do this, but you've never even considered it. So what's that going to look <laughs> like for you? Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the the charm came from. Then we had to change the the intro eventually because people were like, you can't say you've never played it when you've been doing it for seven seasons. And we're <laughs> yeah. like, Fair enough, but intros are hard. <laughs> yeah. Also, we haven't really changed it. People have told us we should, and we should. But hey, man, we got a clean hook. I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it fly. <laughs> yeah, season 14, yeah, we'll it consider it. So you both mentioned you have kind of a background in theater and comedy. How has that impacted your playing? Would you say? Because I know, again, yours is definitely a comedy podcast. It's interesting because it's a comedy podcast that I've also teared up in, but I won't give spoilers, but it gets really deep and we can talk about that later. But what role do your kind of theatrical backgrounds play in how you play the game? Uh, well, I, with... you, you built the whole thing, Tom. You want to jump in and then I'll <laughs> sure, just talk yeah. about being some idiot in your world? Yeah, sounds good. So um, I, uh, I, I uh, also trained, I didn't go to Second City. I went to Second City's cheaper younger cousin. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I spent like high school forward was all, all improv all the time for me. So I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, but I'm also a, a, like both Ryan and I come from a, a storyteller and, and script writer and script developer background. So um, a good mix of that. But yeah, for me, um, Improv helps a ton, uh, not for characters and voices, which I find like a lot of the time when I talk to DMs who, who are fans of the show or fans of Critical or anything else, um, the first thing that a lot of folks I've noticed are, are nervous about is like, oh, but like surely the theater helps you with the voices. And I'm like, well, I mean, it kind of does. But also like my accent work is absolute garbage, as anyone who's heard my Australian can attest. Um, but uh, Improv kind of teaches you the strong and wrong approach of just like, just go as hard as you can at whatever choice you made. Right. And that's that's the choice you made. And it may not sound like what you wanted it to, but it's, it'll be something and you can just have that. Um, so I think really, though, it's less about the performance for me. It's more about uh, improv is really, really good at teaching, uh, like Ryan mentioned, the, the yes and principle earlier, but also just like helping to determine what you need. You know, what does an audience need to see what you're seeing on stage? It's like a really simple thing. But, um, you know, we've all, I'm sure, played or run or listened to D&D games where, like, the description just eased the game. Um, I had a work game for a bit where, like, it was a, we had a one-hour lunch, and 45 minutes of that one-hour lunch would be the DM describing where we were, and then we'd each take one action, and that would be the session. <laughs> um, so improv's great at just teaching you kind of those those basic fundamentals of, like, okay, I need, I need you to know the basic things that will evoke this for you, but then your brain can do the rest of the work. So all that's super, super helpful. Um, and then leaning on some of the the stuff you learn from character work, which is like making very fast choices. My prep for Dum Dums and Dragons is like alarmingly scant. Like I, I can show you the notebooks if I can, they're out of reach, but like, it's usually like, I've got like six bullet points for a session these days and then just stat blocks on, on things. But like, I get dinged a lot for all my disfluencies. I'm a beast for ums and ers and ahs and swearing. That's my other disfluency. But that's usually because my brain is like, oh, they decided to go into the sewer that I didn't know was there. Cool. What do I know about this city? Okay, it's a very large city. Okay, what does that mean for the sewer? The sewer is also large. Okay, great. What kind of city is it? It's the city from Bloodborne. Okay, that means it's gothic and it's going to be a Tim Burton vibe. What's down there? Well, Batman always has killer croc in the sewer, so I guess there's a giant crocodile. I also like Resident Evil, so we'll go with that kind of crocodile situation. Great, they need to find a key. Let's go. Like, it's that kind of just, like, helping Free association. To... Free association, yeah, but, like... Uh, 
you have to do it so quickly. And the key again is, is just like improv is spectacular, spectacular for helping to narrow your focus so that it isn't like, oh, but like, how would that work? It's like, nope, they don't care. They're literally using it to go from point A to point B. So like, what's an interesting thing that could happen in a sewer? And then your brain just kind of Rolodexes all that. So for me, that's that side of things. And also as a script writer um, and developer, I've spent years doing theater specifically as like a real, you, and I do children's theater a lot. I run a, a Muppet Shakespeare company in Toronto with my wife. Oh, wow. And like, for kids or for adults, you really need to work hard to make them at all interested in sitting in your movie th- or in your uh, theater theater because they could be in a movie theater or at home watching Netflix. So um, learning to lean into the if it's funny, like uh, comedy is made better by by tragedy and by drama and drama is made uh, more gut wrenching by infusing comedy. A lot of people think they have to be completely separate. And it's not. If you can bring, I mean, to, to your point, if you can bring in the feels on your comedy show and, like, our lead character's name is Butthole Farch. Like, <laughs> you should not have feelings about this show. But we have people all the time cursing at us for, like, crying at work because they were trying to sneak an episode in and then something big happened. But, again, it just speaks to, like, committing, bringing those things in, and then, and Ryan, you can, I'm sure, speak to this more. But also for all of us, just using some of the acting stuff we picked up to really commit to, to what we're doing. And it's it's not about... Uh, wearing it like you don't have to really like work hard to get to those places it's just literally thinking about like what do I know about this person what do they want from life how how do you approach a character at all and then drawing that out so yeah it might be a very comedic scenario someone takes a pie to the face that might be very funny but if I spent four days making that perfect pie I might have some feelings about that and that's a fun thing for an NPC to say rather than just being like I I am a level one goblin I have two HP Uh, so that's that's kind of my take uh, that's a very rambly answer. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? Oh, uh, I mean, yes, and is good. Uh, supporting each other's stories, the ability to look for arcs, also callbacks. Just improvisers, mm-hmm. especially trained ones, have a good eye for like, oh, I made, I said I needed to do this thing a half hour ago. I need to bring this back. And general unpredictability, just first mm-hmm. idea is best idea. You get a lot of people where it's like, what's this place called? Immediate suggestion. It may be insane, but full commitment. And just big emotional choices. It's, it's a lot of making offers to other performers. And having an idea that there's an audience listening is also really nice because it keeps us all like, if we're bored, we assume the listener is bored. What do we do to make things interesting? And the nice thing about being an improviser is we're all equally happy to lose as we are to win. Uh, one of the things you learn in improv is like you're going to change status all the time. So playing a scene to lose can be absolutely delightful. And for D&D, I think um, it led us now, you know, seven years in. Uh, it let us avoid some of the pitfalls of early characters, which is like none of us built john wick we all if we were building a john wick character built a guy getting into the john wick school who maybe shouldn't have gotten there like he's you know on scholarship because he's not very good with guns and all of our heroes tend to come in and then have a lot of room to grow and for me my my favorite comedic theory and as the guy who plays the guy named butthole uh, yeah i'm also a chaos gremlin but like (laughs) i like to start from a very like broad comedic premise of like oh this will be fun and then just continue to add layers until there's a whole real person you really feel about and the jokes are still there, but also there's this tremendous emotional depth because I think it's a more interesting way to ex- like explore emotions because I, shockingly, as a comedian, might be emotionally avoidant and fill things with jokes when in fact they make me quite sad. So if I can trap other people like me, uh, through that, then it's really fun. Also, you brought two theater artists and improvisers in to talk. Dear God, cut us off. If we're going too long, we will no, not no. stop talking. 
You're all good. It's funny you say, you talk about the failing, because I feel like D&D is one of the RPGs where it's fun to fail. And then with y'all being trained improvisers, it kind of even builds on to that. And that, I I feel like that's kind of a main theme in, in Dum Dums and Dragons specifically, because there's a lot of failure in the show, but it's always really fun. And yet at the same time, y'all are, you know, trained comedians, trained improvisers, yet, uh, you know, one of the tips I always tell players who are, you know, trying to play with us is uh, if you have a character, if you, like, double down onto that character like you were saying, Tom, that is often funnier than trying to slip in a joke that's out of character. I feel like a lot of people make those mistakes. Like, mm-hmm. I, um, my first ever D&D character was a dragon named Guess Some Drugs, because I thought that was funny. Judge college age Sam as you will. Um, Listen, I named my character Butthole. You're still the classier of the two. <laughs> but yeah, but when I tried to make a character based on a joke, it stopped being funny after the first five minutes. Yet y'all managed to take a butthole farch and make me care about him. You know, I'm almost seven seasons in now, and now I care about the character who's also the god of farts. So thank you for that as well. Um, well. As someone who's thought a lot about Butthole Farch and his emotional journey, um, the trick the trick to that is... For anyone who's it, listening to this show, by our third episode, the word butthole just starts to mean a man. You'd true. be amazed it's, how yeah. quickly you adjust to hearing it aloud. Yeah, until you bring it up to someone uh, else who hasn't listened to the show, and then you remember exactly what you've been saying this whole time. Um, but uh, for me, one of the interesting things that Ryan did is like, it's easy to glom on to... So Butthole Farch, for those of you who don't know, is a, a cleric of the goddess Moonhammer, uh, who expresses all of his magic and and faith through farts? Uh, so everything is fart based. All he's reskinned all of his powers to be fart based. It's very highbrow. Uh, it's very highbrow. Yeah, the most. It's basically <laughs> the Harvard Review. Um, but uh, the interesting piece is that that is uh, forgive the pun a bit of a smokescreen because when he came in, he's like Butthole is a character who uh, is an ex mercenary. He's run away from his home. He's run away from his family who are like warmongering nightmare people. And he's looking for friends and to spread the word of his God. That's it. So what's interesting is you. it is impossible to look past the name and the farting powers. That is the <laughs> first thing that grabs you. But that wasn't the bit. The bit was damaged ex-soldier looking for purpose and, and naive and ready to buy into anything. That's the actual bit. And so to your, to your point, Sam, the, the interesting piece for me is like, if you're going to play the joke, play the joke, but it's got to be, the joke can be a cool hat your character wears, but it can't be the character. Because if it is the character, that's when it falls apart. And I say this as someone who's made a lot of NPCs that were just two-dimensional joke characters that were then befriended and or added to the party and are now there seven years later. And I'm like, I really wish I had done more we, with we this. Goblin because, Jr., though. Like, yeah, I... Everyone when I, does. <laughs> when I got a dog, I did pitch that name to my wife. Like, can we name our dog Goblin Junior? <laughs> wow, that would. What have did been you end up going with? Though? That I now I need to know. Oh, Rosie Cotton, because I am a big Lord of the Rings fan. So, okay. same as Gamgee's wife. Hey, you know what? If we're number two to Lord of the Rings, that's okay. We'll, we'll take that. Ryan once, uh, Ryan for a it's while pitched the show as Lord of the Rings. If everyone was an idiot, and like, <laughs> you know, I, I stand by it. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, having comedians like what you've described is sort of one of those things that takes uh some people for ex- me for example a long time to learn is that if you go into the game 
trying to take yourself too seriously or take your character too seriously, you end up almost like that uh, that classic uh, chick tract where your character dies and you're just like just angry and upset about it instead of going in not necessarily expecting your character to die, but just like, it's more fun if you go in expecting to fail. Yeah. Well, it's, well, and it also, it gives you the chance. I mean, a, if you go in and you're the only person taking things too seriously right, in a room yeah. full of people who are there to make jokes, they are going to have fun hitting you in the knees and knocking you over for the whole <laughs> yeah. game. And if you're cool with it, it's actually a really fun bit to go back and forth. Cause that's like right. one of the core tenets of our show. We have Quinny, who's the halfling rogue, who's always trying to do cool stuff, who escaped from prison by serving out his sentence. And like, he's constantly trying to be the like smartest guy in the room. And he's got a giant idiot next to him who believes anything <laughs> he's told and is determined to make friends. And so when he gets set up- elf on the other side. Yeah, oh, and absolute gen- <laughs> a genius sociopath, just on the other, just murdering left, right, and center. Innately cooler than Quinny at all times. Um, but- that battle is really fun and that tension can be really fun. But the big right. thing, and I think improvisers really let this happen, and I would suggest it to anybody, is you, you don't want to bring a character to a role-playing game where you're playing also with other characters and be like, this is who they are. They are fully decided. This is it. It's got to have this vibe. They, like, they're a tone. And it's right. like, no, your character's going to be a character, but you got to be ready to change based on the story and based on what other people are doing. And that's how you collectively build something. But you're sharing. You as a player are sharing as much as the DM is in their world design with like, what's everybody going to do? We're all going to change each other and it's going to be this party's journey. So you really just get to choose a start point and then you all share everything else. That was a lesson that took teenage cam an embarrassingly long time to, uh, to truly internalize. I mean, that's very good. I think I learned it at 30. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I also say like Ryan and I have the benefit of because we decided to make a show out of this and we're both workaholics. Um, we basically like a, a lot of people ask me about DMing and everything else. And I'm like, it's because I got to basically like both of us just lived in like cryogenic tubes of accelerated learning for this because we just had to do it knowing there was an audience with all the stakes of like <laughs> failing as a company. Um and we just meant we did it all the time. Whereas if I was just doing it casually, I like with all the D and I've I've done, I would campaign for maybe like a month before everyone's schedules fell apart, and or mm-hmm. I would lose my mind and be like, "We're done." Uh, so yeah, we picked this stuff up pretty quick because we had to because we were doing it all the time in a really like um, pressure cooker situation. Also because we'd be recording a ton of episodes in a sitting, so we had those big marathon sessions that are like the dream of a lot of D and D players. Is it just kind of enabled us to make those quick jumps but like yeah it just it comes from time and also to be clear we're talking a lot about acting and improvising and everything else you absolutely do not need to be an actor or an improviser to implement literally everything we're talking about to ryan's point um one of the easiest things and i've seen him do it a bunch uh also in like one shots we've run outside of like off-air one shots where he's played butthole in a few times mm-hmm. where he's just like found space for that character to go you know what this time he's this or like, oh, the other character really cares about reading every book. So I'm going to be excited about finding him a book he hasn't read. Like, it's just finding something about your other players that your character can get excited about mm-hmm. or about the quest that your character can get excited about will really take you a long way. And to the failure piece, yeah, failing forward and just being like, and this also goes for DMs, rather than just being like, well, you rolled badly, so that's your turn. You don't get to do anything else. You're done. Just like, I don't know, for me, as a player, when that's happened to me, it's literally like all the wind went out of my sails. Like, particularly yeah. if you had a large table, it's like there's eight people here. It's going to be another hour and a half before I get to take a turn again 
and like <laughs> one guy ran slightly ahead of everyone else so my held action only dealt damage to one guy and not the mob cool like you knew what i was trying to do here and you robbed me of my moment and then the dice robbed me of the joy of even that that's a bad sit as opposed to something funny or interesting happens as a result of that failure so your character's story continues even if if the role didn't go off but right. all right one of the slight digression. that is one of the most important skills of a dm is learning when to ignore the rule book absolutely just, yeah that's one of the things i love about the way y'all run your campaign because i think there were moments where y'all shifted or even grabbed mechanics from other games. Like I know, uh, I think we might have even stolen one of the mechanics for one of our NPCs because y'all early on, you get an NPC that's a wolf called Goblin Jr. And instead of running him with a whole stat block, I think the decision, and please correct me if I'm wrong, was to um, basically he could give you advantage X amount of times per long rest or something like that. Yeah, and that made once, the story once per long rest. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think advantage. it was it was a D6 recharge. It was like four plus. Oh, that's he right. could that's recharge. Right, yeah. So it's like he give you advantage once, and then you got to see to tell he's useful again. <laughs> he's still helping. He's such a good boy. Snarf, he's snarf. just not delivering anything mechanically. Snarf, snarf. Yeah. Yeah, snarf. exactly. Um, so in terms of your podcast, you know, y'all talked a lot about starting it up. You know, you're recording in a space where many people release you know, three or four hour long podcast. What made you guys go for that short form 45 minutes to an hour? Um, in the beginning, I think I can speak to this because a lot of the yeah, early yeah, structural design was kind of existing in my world. Uh, there were not that many people doing this in like the big way that we're seeing now. There's been a real pr proliferation of these podcasts. So the only examples that we really saw, like even Dimension 20 was closer to, I think, a 2019 start. We were 2017. So there was Critical Role, and then there was uh, the internet. Uh, well, and like Acquisitions, Inc. Acquisitions, you. but I didn't, I wasn't familiar with that. But I'd listen to like Harmon Quest. I'd listen to some of the other comedy podcasts. And then I'd listen to some podcasts in general, and just it felt like 45 to an hour was enough time for us to fit some story in, get some jokes in, get to a cliffhanger, but not necessarily outstay our welcome. Because I'd listen to some longer shows, and it was like, oh, you may have like, you know, you listen to a four-hour episode, and you're like, they debated how to approach a cottage for 60 minutes. And I was like, this makes me want to die. I am mortal. <laughs> I can't get this hour back. I want to do a show where we kick in the door and keep things moving. And it also just meant in terms of what we could do and what our availability was at the time, if we got together and we recorded 12 hours in a weekend, that, if we did four-hour episodes, is three weeks' worth of content. If we do one hour a week, that's 12 weeks worth of content. So it let us have the sustainability that we have where we're like, oh, recording 10 hours on a weekend gets us 10 weeks where we don't have to record so we could live our lives and do our jobs. Because while we've been doing this show, Tom has been running multiple theater companies at this point. We've all been working full time. I was working as a script and screenwriting consultant in addition to a day job. Uh, and we've kept this all going with that. So none of us sleep, but... We're all highly productive because the show episodes are not too, too long. And I'll say in the DM's chair, easily 30% of my brain is just constantly screaming, just get as many, as many episodes out of this as you can. You can't. <laughs> we did all this work. You can't, you can't just let this slip away, um, which it shouldn't be. I should really be focused on running the game. But like, um, 
particularly now I've got a, a toddler. So like now particularly I'm very cognizant a of how much of a, of, of just like a destructive force that's been to our scheduling. But B when, when we book the time, I really want to make sure we're, we're getting as much as we can. I'll also say like, I grew up um, on, on radio shows. Uh, I used to listen to all the old timey serials. So like, you know, like Sherlock Holmes or uh, the shadow and like all these classic radio dramas. And yeah, an hour is a sweet spot. I mean, like I love a good binge, but there's something satisfying to the arc you can get in an hour. Mm-hmm. You can tell a whole story. I love cliffhangers, as you can tell. And that's my brain just kind of chunks story that way. So when I can feel us coming up to a good point, so our episode length is so variable. I would rather drop at 45 minutes if that's the moment than like run another 15 and then end on like, and then you're halfway up a staircase when like 10 minutes ago, it's like, and then your character's nemesis burst into flame, dying forever. Anyway, keep go build camp, I guess. Like, just no, <laughs> drop at the cool moment. Um, and we've got a lot of really positive comments, I think, from people, um, both in terms of really like anticipating the next episode, um, but also that it is kind of in that bite. Not, it's not quite bite sized. It's a bit longer than that, but like it, it keeps you for D and D content. It's bite sized. Yeah, it oh, keeps yeah. you keeps you in the vein and of of wanting more. And I will say the big difference between say a Critical Role or even a Dimension Twenty is like those are visual medium shows like their their primary visual and their secondary audio um as anyone who's listened to those really critical role seasons where they're like eating on mic can tell you um but uh it it's different sitting down to watch something like i do want to put like i put on dimension 20 while i cook so like i want that to just run as long as i am cooking so anytime i look over at my little screen i'm like cool good work um, but if I'm listening to stuff, I'm listening to it when I'm walking my dog. I'm listening to it on my commute. I'm listening to it when I'm rocking a baby to sleep. I don't need, hopefully, <laughs> six hours of content for that. <laughs> I need just that like that one little bit. So it's worked out really well. And, and to Ryan's point, ultimately, like we, we're we're fairly prolific in terms of our release, and that's only because we have kept the episodes to a length where we can do it at at that pace. Yeah, we currently have four shows running with mm-hmm. weekly episodes. And we are going to be launching uh, some full video Dimension 20 style miniseries coming up, which will be our fifth show with weekly release. So it's also, we could do four one-hour shows or one four-hour episode, but our capacity (laughs) ends up being about the same. And having the diversity of content is really important for us as a company, as opposed to just kind of having one thing, because it's so important for for people to get to hear a variety of things and for us to get to do all the stuff we want. Cause now we also have a vampire, the masquerade game and we have a Warhammer 40,000 game and we've got our general core comedy, but we also have a horror comedy D and D game that's playing. Uh, and the new seasons, it'll be really interesting to see how the video content performs. We haven't stepped foot into that realm and we've got an upcoming cyberpunk miniseries that will be five episodes that will be probably closer to two hours in full video shot in studio in costume. That stuff will be coming out uh, our Halloween special in October and then cyberpunk in November. I will say before we move on to the next question, it is very helpful as I'm just as someone who's a listener, you know, when you go to, you know, I've not listened through all of like a critical role, not busting them. But when you go on and you're three th- seasons behind, and each episode's like forty, like four hours, it's like oh, I, I can't ever catch up. Whereas with with y'all, I wasn't, you know, I started listening a few years back, and I'm probably on, you know, season six. But there was actually a chance to catch up, which is really helpful. And like you were saying, Tom, it can be done in a commute. It can be done, you know, I do it while I'm cooking, and so it's it's very helpful, and I really enjoy it. Uh, now. Back into kind of the more dramatic side of it, one of the things that I as a fan love, and, uh, you know, this is all credit to, to both of you as gr- 
really skilled improvisers is y'all will take a kind of small aside or improvised joke and then snowball it into a massive story point. You know, there's one character y'all have who's called uh, Not Peter Baelish. And that was just sent in by a fan as a joke. And it became this big emotional moment in, like, season five. But, uh, so, so again, going back to what you said before about layering on comedy, was that always, is that always the intention when you throw those in? And then, Tom, as a, as a DM or as a GM, how do you manage all of those, like, chaotic threads? Yeah, I mean, as a player, it's, it's anything that pops up can be an absolutely joyful gift. Uh, and it's remembering them all and more importantly, paying them off. If we're going to have a cheap throwaway joke, that's fine. But if that joke gets called back a second time, then it has to have a third time. And that third time needs to be impactful and weaving uh, the emotions into it. The trick is playing really honestly. Uh, if we want to jump into a very stupid joke that is not terribly spoilery, but I'm happy to, to walk through this one. Uh, Butthole, uh, when he is describing his horrifying past as a mercenary, in the majority of cases, when he talks about like the darkest campaign he was on, it was a joke where I called it the donkey wars. And then somebody <laughs> said, wait, you were at war with donkeys. And then I did probably like just a quick two minute riff of like, like, like an Apocalypse Now style monologue about the screams of the donkeys <laughs> as they carried women and children into the night away from the village. And you don't know what war is, man. But it's meant the donkey wars have becoming uh, this absolute runner. But it was also like, oh, no, that's his PTSD. If he's going to have a flashback to something horrifying, it's going to be these incredibly stupid donkey wars. But it's really just a joke to layer on a really real emotional experience, which means like, how does he feel about donkeys? How does he feel about this? Like you have to play those consequences. And when it's a big, clear emotional offer, it also sets up other players to refer to those things, which is where you can figure out what's working and how to carry forwards. And Tom is an absolute master of making notes of these random asides that seem very important and very emotional and being like, I need a hook for this next story. When I will send them into a dream and this dream will be this war they mentioned. And it's, it's all of us getting to kind of Easter egg each other within the campaign uh, and create some fun content. Of it. So that's kind of like my vibe is just like surprises are good. And when we like something between the improvisers and most importantly, Tom's generosity as a storyteller, it becomes important because it's important to us. And I then Tom that, builds it into the world. I think that's really yeah. a credit to, to you, Tom, because there are so many things in the show that start as, you know, butthole farts, you know, the Moonhammer, the goddess of farts, there's the thiefies, all these like asides and jokes. And then later on, like, you know, I said earlier, you know, we cry at the thiefies. And, and there are themes that happen throughout the show that start off as kind of that joke. And then you get really mad at yourself because you, you realize like, oh, why am I tearing up over a butthole? Like, it, it, and it's <laughs> also, very... At- Everyone in the world who plays D&D, I really, of all the things that have showed up in our show, the Thiefies should 100% be canon. I'm just going to explain the rough Thiefies idea is every year the Thieves Guild have an Oscar-like style ceremony <laughs> where all the thieves show up to find out who's going to win the best different categories. And the ceremony is basically constantly ruined because the thieves are all trying to steal the awards from each other at the last minute. And the fact that the Thiefies does not canonically exist in actual D&D is the greatest loss to the D&D community of anything in the world. The Thiefies need to exist. Run Thiefies campaigns. Uh, the current champion of the Thiefies is always Merle Streep, who is an orc thief. Uh, she just keeps winning. So you've even got a built-in villain. 
Someone else needs to add thiefies. I need to see it appear. Just, just get it. Just one little thiefies line in a D and D book. Uh, I want it. That may you find have, its way. You into have my a, sword. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that may find I, its way. Into I will a, work this into into a D and D. Okay, but like, keep a close hand on that sword because it's the thiefies. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep it. it it's keep fun, it locked. It's funny you're talking about like inserting canon. I was telling Tom before we started, uh, in your Star Wars campaign in Dumbscums and villainy, Dumbscum and villainy. Uh, y'all begin on a space station where it's, you know, just like a casino and every level has different stuff on it. And y'all call it the pleasure tumor. And it's like the big first arc. And uh, I was playing in a home game with some of my friends and I was playing a smuggler. And we were playing the same system. And my friend who was DMing it just said, okay, you have to make this quick escape. You only have the chance to enter in like a random destination. What do you put? And he was thinking I'd say Tatooine or Hoth. And I just put the pleasure tumor. So know that it, know that that exists yes. across multiple canons now. My just favorite fingers crossed for like the the season finale of Ahsoka is just her like walking into the pleasure tumor. Like, oh, <laughs> the pleasure tumor. Can't believe this. It yep. may and find I, a way. It may have, find a way into the mothership. Uh, oh, season that I have planned for our show. Majestic. Yeah, and people yep. have messaged me because I actually for for on behalf of fans who wanted it, I wrote up a cleric of Moonhammer rule set where if they wanted to use that as a class just it's just a reskin of other classes along with some really dumb stuff that i did just consistently as a player but we've had a couple of people send moon hammer and clerics into their own campaigns so it's delightful but tom i think we're i gotta yeah yeah so for Ooh, before we do that though where can we find that because i might steal that for a home campaign the it just I mean, I think it's been bouncing around, but hey, at Ryan, the should... Ryan Laplante on Twitter or Instagram, just bounce me a message, or I mean, for you, just email me. I'll send. We it should, to you. Uh, Ryan. We should put that in the store at zero dollars and just let people. Oh buy yeah, it, buy that's a great it. idea. We'll, so, I, I will. Dumdumdice.com will eventually have the answer to this. See, there we go. Wonder. I'm going to sort that out like this week. Um, so yeah, in terms of for, for my side of things, I love continuity. Uh, I love long running jokes. Um, as a kid, I would always get bummed out watching cartoons where like they didn't pay attention to continuity because I was like, hang on, are we meant to believe? Um, but it's because I was invested. I, I was invested in these uh, characters and these stories. And when shows like Batman the Animated Series or like the the incredible '90s when you want you Spider Man uh, or like '90s. Uh, do 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 X Men came along. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I want. Um, and so I've always loved that sort of stuff. And The Simpsons is a real good Simpsons. Shame they canceled it several years ago. Simpsons uh, <laughs> was like a real foundational piece for me. And so much of the the golden age of that show kept a consistent continuity, which they then when they abandoned it, my I it was it was a like it was a deep loss for me. I remember just being so upset at what they were doing to this continuity that I deeply cared about. And then I realized, oh, you're just going to go for the cheap joke forever. We're done here. Um, and a part of that is to Ryan's point um, from the DM's perspective, it's just like everything they say is true. So the key for me is to not like I'll have as Tom at the table, I'll usually have my like laughy moment. I also tend to keep all the, like the majority of the meta stuff, just like me being snarky. And there are times where we'll just riff where it's just, like, hanging out with us, just making jokes. It has nothing to do with the show. We'll just, like, go off on something and have a little bit of fun, and then eventually we'll get back to it. Usually it's the players with me, like, sweating bullets at, like, the narrative bomb I'm about to drop and desperately wanting to get there so that I can, you know, sleep. Um, but but sometimes we found a pun too. on an NPC's name, so Tom's going to have to wait three minutes while we all trade puns. <laughs> Admittedly, I did get them back by... There's a, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but uh, a major villain reveal is an incredibly stupid joke I plant in season two 
that pays off like five seasons later. And I've literally <laughs> never seen Tyler so disappointed in in anything. Uh, when it's revealed what the evil wizards have been trying to do the whole time, he was just so upset. Everyone was so upset, and I love it. So anyway, all that to say, um, the trick for me is that, like, yeah, no matter how silly something is, like the Donkey War, it it's just canon. Like, once it's been said, it's just part of the story. And the trick is to treat it like any other part of the story. And I honestly, like, an easy first litmus test for me was, like, Butthole Farts showed up at my table. And I was just like, that's just this guy's name. I'm aware it's very silly. And the characters in the world are aware it's very silly. He is sometimes aware it's very silly. But that's just his name. That's just who he is. Yeah, his powers are fart-based. All right, that's just what it is. And as soon as you kind of give yourself permission, again, it's, it's a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but to Ryan's point, it's also just earnesty. It's just, like, earnestly be a fan of these characters and this world and just once it's there, it's there. It's just a part of, of, of your world now, uh, no matter how silly it is. And a lot of the silliness I introduced like Merle Streep. Um, but you know, particularly with our guest players, uh, there's, uh, the, the brilliant, uh, Brandon Hackett played a, an orc warlord named Lil Pim Pim. And I had a full campaign, like a full like dungeon setup thing. Uh, and Brandon never played, uh, D and D and he was just like, uh, okay, well, they're like, how do you, how should we get into this castle that you used to live in, little Pimpim? And he's like, oh, it's easy. We'll just go through the sewer. And he's like, it leads right in. I was like, I guess it does. I guess that's true <laughs> now. Uh, and it ruined a lot of what I had planned, but also I was like, I mean, I did say that this guy used to live there. So if he tells me there's a sewer, there's probably a sewer that I'm just not aware of. <laughs> so it's just like letting those things be real and not judging them, not, uh, not having that like snarky, sort of CinemaSins take on, like, an idea that gets put forward, just literally being like, no, this is just what it is now. Um, this is just what we're doing. This is just who this person is. Uh, Ryan does this a lot, where he'll just befriend characters that were never meant to live past an encounter. And I'm like, okay, I guess this guy whose name I made up on the fly because I was terrified and called Crendon is just going to hang around for a bit, I guess. I guess we just have a Crendon now good work me i guess i need to come up with a backstory like it's it's just those little beats and then for the easter egg piece it's just really like as a dm i love using what the players give me um i pulled one over on tyler that was like many many seasons in the go it's a big season six reveal and like it was just the kind of thing where he mentioned something offhandedly in an unrelated conversation about character art and i was like good to know and then i just back pocketed that and built a story around it for later um, Ryan coming in with a backstory about, like, having Butthole has to do what his father says. Uh, and his father is, like, a scary uh, god of war cleric. And Ryan had some ideas about what that could mean, but Butthole didn't know. So Ryan also didn't know. So I went away and came up with a very elaborate thing. I had fans texting me at one point being like, is it this? <laughs> and the reveal was something quite unexpected that I, I kind of ran with. It still felt true to the character. It didn't break anything that had been established, but was, like, a neat spin on it. So that's kind of how, how I take it. I just... It gives me so much more to work with, and you just just pay attention, just be a fan of your own stuff and of your own characters that are playing at your table, and like and for, find reasons to care about what they care about. Say for people who are trying to figure out like how to replicate that in their home game, because I'm always like, what is the magic? And after seven years, I got some idea of the tricks that we do. And one of the things that Tom does really well is we'll also share backstory, where we're like, hey, it's the Donkey Wars, it's this, and Tom's like. The Donkey Wars, absolutely. They occurred from this year to this year on this part of the map. What was the big battle of the Donkey Wars? And you end up 
with Tom's, you're like, here's my pitch. And instead of him being like, there aren't donkey wars, shut up. <laughs> Very historically accurate in the world of D&D. But instead, he he helps contextualize it. It ends up being like, he's putting the rails on it so that it works within the world. And then we're sharing that construction. So it's not always just like, hey, there's a sewer. Oh, fuck, now I have to have a sewer. We get, we, we've got to the point now where you can have those conversations where if a player makes a big offer, as a DM, you can go, this part of it works for me in your head and go, yes. So you were doing this. I think it's this. There's a little bit here and throwing it back to be like, what's the fourth thing on my list of ideas after it's got some structure? Cause it means the, the DM still gets to kind of steer the backstory into where it works within the universe, but it's still the players getting to take those big swings. And at the end, you can still have donkey wars. And I, if I can tag on the end of that, uh, just very quickly, um, it's also just acknowledging as a DM that you don't need to have all the answers or all the planning or everything else, that you are creating the world with your players. So I interview my characters all the time. And usually it's like if someone hasn't talked for a while, I'll be like, hey, what's so-and-so thinking about right now? What, how are they reacting? Sometimes, I mean, I've played a lot of barbarian-type characters and like, they shouldn't be talking in scenes. They're just there to punch and murder. Um, so being like, what is your barbarian thinking about right now? And just like, oh man, he's really jealous of all those weapons. <laughs> he's just, it's, it's <laughs> killing him. Um, and it means that you get insight into characters that you might not otherwise get that might never come out and yeah just digging into like okay well tell me about that <laughs> like literally just interviewing them like you would a friend and then all that becomes real all that becomes things you can lean on later and it may never come up they may never mention it but it's stuff you know anyway sorry i cut you off Sam. no no you're good i think it's it's really cool because those methods have managed to take many aspects of your show from silly to endearing like what i think of is y'all had i think a 12 year old or something on playing a cat guy and it's Mr. Mittens. Mr. Mittens, Mr. Mittens yeah. that's right. And he was, like, trying to defeat Odie for Garfield, right? Or it was something like that where it was a whole, like, Garfield-themed arc, which sounds ridiculous and, like, theoretically shouldn't make for a great podcast. But because everyone just bought into it and was just yes-anding, it's just really kind of funny, quirky arc. arc. Uh, and it's it completely works. Um, well, I know we're coming towards the end of our time, but, Tom, I know you... You recently released a new RPG, right, called Echoes of Chaos. Can you tell us a little bit about it and like how? Yeah. What, what led to its creation? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it is a uh, what is the term they use? It's not carved from trophy. Oh, that's a shame. I should know that off the top of my head. It's carved from Brindlewood. But anyway, um, a, an RPG came out a little while ago, rooted in trophy. That's the one. Uh, came out a while ago called Trophy. That is, uh, I absolutely love it. Please, please go check it out. It was developed by the folks who make uh, the Gauntlet RPG, um, like Zine, but also uh, a bunch of podcasts and everything else. Uh, Trophy, in turn, is rooted in Powered by the Apocalypse, and it's kind of a descendant of like games like uh, Blades in the Dark, which I stole stress from for a D&D game and a bunch of other things. Um, but meant to be very easy to pick up and play. Like, you you can do all the character creation, you can figure out how everyone knows each other, and have a really successful evening of playing. And something I've learned over time, as I'm sure all of you have encountered, is, like, scheduling's a nightmare, and sometimes you really want to have a full TTRPG experience in a night, and that's very hard to find, because usually the setup and the logistics are real tough. So I fell in love with Trophy, thought it was wonderful, and then they they ran, um, for Zine Quest on Kickstarter, they ran a, um, a grant, uh, situation where they're just like, if you have a pitch for something you would like to build using the trophy system, let us know and we'll kick you the seed funding to go make it. And uh, I love chaos theory because of Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. 
Um, but I'm also like, I love Ray Bradbury and a sound of thunder, which most folks know from the Simpsons time toaster episode, um, has always really haunted me. Just that idea of you go back in time, you change one thing and it ruins everything in the future has always been a really haunting, interesting idea for me playing with all these folks on Dum Dums for a while. I was like, okay, what if we built a game that was just that? So echoes of chaos is about being a time tourist who's gone back in time to do something. You have some cool thing that you want to do. It invariably goes wrong, and uh, Trophy is a game you're meant to lose. There is no winning at Trophy. It's just kind of like, similar to Cthulhu-style games, it's like, what what does the form of your destruction take? Because <laughs> um, it's usually like, Trophy refers not to, like, you will go get a trophy. It's like, you are the trophy. <laughs> you are the trophy for a monster out there. So Echoes of Chaos is, again, about, like, a bunch of, of rich jerks going back in time and ruining things. Um, so I had a lot of fun playing with that style of failure mechanic, which is, like... As you're playing, every action you're taking, it's not about risk to you. You don't have health. It's about risk to the timeline. And a lot of that plays off of everything Ryan's just been describing. What's your backstory? What do you care about? What is what is the future present look like to you? What, what are the things you care about there? And then building it to be set up and run in a night. So like from character creation through to playing out all the consequences, you can just do it in one sitting. You don't need to prep anything. The DM doesn't need to prep anything. There's a whole deck of cards that are just like, it's this location, this objective. Um... And it stacks over time, so you do it chronologically. So if you screw up something, like um, one of the games Ryan was, was a part of when I was testing it, was like they accidentally left a laser gun in, I think, like prehistoric times. So by the time they got to the French Revolution, it was like laser guillotines and jetpacks <laughs> and like all sorts of nonsense because they just left the wrong material in the wrong place and it, it, it had huge consequences moving forward. So um, it's based on Trophy, which again, like, TrophyRPG.com. Check it out. It's delightful. Um, but yeah, so that was that. And then I built a campaign version as part of the Kickstarter because Kickstarters have a bad habit to be like, and I'll do this version as well. And then you realize it's a whole other game. So I built a campaign-based version called Campaign of Chaos because I have two names in me and they're both that. Um, which is a, a each session is one time period. So over the span of a much longer campaign, you're slowly altering time and you can un undo some of the effects of it. Uh, as opposed to just one night where you're you're going to doom time and space. But I don't know. I've had a lot of fun running it. I've run it a few times now. We've had some fans who've run it. Um, it is available on our on our website. It's out of stock right now, but we'll be back quite soon. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for for some time travel hijinks, that's that's what it is. And uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a good way to tell a very complete narrative with no prep in a night. Well, I know what we might be playing in another season of Minis and Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, so our time's wrapping up, but before we end, I know you guys, uh, when we're recording this, you, you just announced a new project, but what kind of things can we expect to see from Dum Dums and Dice moving forward? Let's start with Ryan. More cool, sexy video content. Uh, we have invested, we have built a full studio. We have a three camera setup. We've got the full cinematic lighting. So if you check out any of our latest episodes of any of our central series, they all look real pretty now. Also, we are launching uh, video specific content. So you're gonna see some more kind of Dimension 20 style stuff. It's gonna go out under a banner called Dum Dums and Dice, but all of the individual uh, one shots will be full video, full fun, full chaos. All of our goofiness brought to a variety of genres including some new and exciting guests and stars who are coming in. So again, we've got Hack and Slash, four monsters fight for their immortal lives on the spookiest night of the year. That's coming out uh, with four so episodes. Monster of the Week. 
is the RPG that we're playing. Yeah. Uh, and then we play Carbon 2185 for Cyberpunk Ragnarok. So uh, the next couple of months, I would say keep an eye on our Twitch. Our Twitch is really active. We're doing all of our premieres of our new content there. The other thing that's going on is we started doing more Twitch gaming in general on top of the regular podcast. So Tom on Tuesday nights plays Baldur's Gate 3 because we need our DM to have his own adventure as a player. But apparently <laughs> Steve we're going the sexy dumb gnome. There Basically <laughs> Hansel from Zoolander as a bard. So he's doing oh, that. And then uh, Wednesday nights on Twitch, we live record Jesters of Ravenloft, our newest and most chaotic, which is one hell of a thing to say. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons show where uh, I ambushed four comedian friends of ours. I told them that, that I'd made characters for them in a D&D campaign. They came live on stream. I was like, let's do a warm-up game. You guys are a sketch troupe. You know, what are you wearing? What's the scene? Start the scene. Oh, no, mists come in and envelop you, and now you've been sucked into Ravenloft. The twist is you're <laughs> playing yourself, sucked into Ravenloft, and they all had to build each other's characters live on air. Everybody got to decide the stats except their own so that it kept things honest and real. And that they. Sounds- exquisite oh it is it is chaos so and it's adam mcnamara guy bradford tyler hewitt and del borovic so it is oh, bro. a delightful crew uh, and we, we live stream two episode recordings of that every week so twitch will have things going on tuesdays wednesdays and fridays over the next stretch with everything available as vod outside of that it's got the youtube follow and then our podcasts are available everywhere podcasts can be found so we are experimenting with new formats tom's baby is aging some people say kids grow up i'm just going to say the baby is aging so this we're baby also is aging hoping to get tom into some of the new format stuff as well so i know we've got uh, his first full video one shot yeah. is on uh, the books we're locking it down uh, all i can say is a couple of systems that were mentioned today are things i will eventually be running so um I, uh, the bent I'm going to take is I've been kickstarting and picking up indie RPGs forever, uh, and I love them, and I haven't had an excuse to do anything with them. So uh, I'm going to go nuts on a few systems that have either stolen <laughs> prolifically from already for our shows or that have just been sitting in a box uh, singing their siren song to me. So we're going to try some some new fun fun stuff. And then from uh, our mainline shows, just so, so we've set them all, Dum Dums and Dragons is our flagship show. Uh, it's the one we've been talking about the most here. Um, generally recommend starting at episode one. Uh, we do the Lost Minds of Fandelver for our first season uh, with a bunch of wacky guests. And then from season two forward, we do a couple modules, but we're pretty well just kind of running running my own stuff by then once we kind of got our feet wet. Um, we are seven seasons deep, but please don't let that deter you. Uh, it's, uh, as, as Sammy said, it's a quick listen. Um, and also more importantly, you can kind of just take it at your own pace. Um, what we've seen from a lot of our stuff is people will listen to the most recent episode to see if they like it, and then we'll stop and go all the way back because they realize there's continuity and things. So I'd recommend listening all the way through, but you do you. Uh, we have Blood and Syrup, which is our Vampire the Masquerade show. Um, if you like the idea of Vampire the Masquerade, but want it with a little bit more self-awareness and humor while still very much living in that that world of darkness space, uh, we're, we're your jam. Uh, it's about three mismatched uh, vampires who are forced into a coterie in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, uh, before shifting gears into New Haven, a small vampire-built town in Alberta for season two, which uh, Ryan is currently running. So, is it um, like the Canadian what we do in the shadows? It's it's close to that. It's like that, but if they were then sent on missions. Oh, so, yeah. like, if you took Imagine the what that we do, it became horrifying at points. Kind of like we do comedy, and then you feel sad. This is like it's real funny. Oh, I don't like it. It's scary, and that's kind <laughs> of our tone there. So that one comes out on Tuesdays, and you can choose your season. If you want to hear three vampires try to take over a full kind of like hardcore Camarilla city, 
you've got a great season one. Season two, one character gets transplanted over, and it's a bunch of vampires trying to be an effective sheriff's department of a town where mortals know vampires exist and are living on like a universal basic income in exchange for blood. So they're very, they're like tonally similar and you can enjoy both, but you can kind of dive into either. It's a very bloody soap opera. (laughs) Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, Then we've got, uh, Tom, I was going to say, we've got Valentine Heresy. So for anybody who's a fan of Warhammer 40K, uh, we have a Warhammer 40K RPG using the Genesis adaptation of Dark Heresy, which is available for free out there if anybody else wants to play it. But it's super fun. It's an Inquisitor who is promoted on the battlefield as his predecessor dies, uh, who discovers a horrific conspiracy. But because he is stuck in the middle of nowhere and no one knows he was promoted, he's desperately pulling together a ragtag team to try to save the Emperor. And then we have Jesters of Ravenloft, the comedians. Yep. And then our uh, shows that we've completed the run on for now, uh, we have Dumb Scum and Villainy, uh, which we mentioned a few times, which is our Star Wars uh, show, which is basically like the most incompetent smugglers in the universe try and pull off a heist in space, um, which just gets increasingly silly and chaotic as it goes uh, and is, is a wild good time. It's uh, very good. The, uh, the thank you the uh, edge of the empire uh, system that is defunct now but was fun. Uh, we have the Mythos Mysteries, which is basically if Stephen King wrote Scooby Doo uh, and was set in the 1940s version of like Dairy from It. Uh, it's a bunch of child sleuths uh, who suffered a horrific tragedy uh, and then have returned home uh, when one of their number calls for help and mysteriously disappears uh, in order to to try and get to the bottom of the mystery. And if if you like mysteries. And horror and deep feels. Uh, that's that's uh, that's your Huckleberry. Um, and then we have a bunch of one shots. So if you're just looking for something short and light, we ha- we did a bunch of things under a show literally called One Shots. Uh, so you can search that out. We got a bunch of, of silly stuff living there. So lots of options, lots of different flavors. And Tom forgot one: Curse Code and Crown. Tom's fully oh, sh- original D and D series where all of the lore and the world are created by Tom. It is one of our absolute favorite things we've ever done. VV 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 good uh, yeah, it's, big it's heart in that show yeah it's uh, when COVID forced us to shut down all of our recording uh, we decided to try and make a show to deal with all the feelings we were feeling about the world so it is kind of our <laughs> Princess Bride Musketeers show about uh, a world that has fallen into deep disarray and uh, an unlikely band uh, that has to kind of turn things around and yeah I, I will straight up say it is the best work I've ever done uh, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Also, the cast is on fire. This was this was our, like, we've been playing Dum Dums for so long that we just got to start fresh with something, and Ryan, Tyler, and Laura, so it's the same cast as, as DD&D, all came in with such drastically different characters that, that we developed together, and, like, the roleplay work is, is, like, next level. Like, Tyler's still haunted by things that have happened in that show. <laughs> uh, it's a treat. Yeah, so as the, you said, it's, it's kind of an empire because we have so many... I, so many shows. I'm sorry. That was like 20 minutes of much. <laughs> <laughs> all out there. No, it's good. You like, check them yeah. out. No, uh, we're prolific. In, you know, we're we're super happy to have you all on. This is actually our first episode of uh, Makers and Misfits, and we couldn't have asked for uh, like better guests. And you know, this is it's kind of funny because I don't know where we go from here. Y'all were kind of our like our stretch guests. So it just goes downhill from here, I guess. No, uh, <laughs> I don't but uh, that. <laughs> don't, don't tell that to Chris McDowell. Oh yeah, no. Can I call oh, into God. next episode and be like, Hey, listen, you know what they said? Um, I actually had one thing that I wanted to, to throw in as we end off. Um, as with all makers, you guys have given us players uh, a lot to work with. 
even in just this interview, you've given us a lot of things to to work into our games, like the the thieves. Um, so I just wanted to to give something back, which is a uh, a magic item that I developed uh, a while back uh, for explicitly comedy purposes. Wonderful. I call, I call it the extremely blunt warhammer, and it is a a warhammer like a weapon, but it is enchanted to evenly distribute the force of its strikes across any surface. So if you hit somebody with it, they're just feeling like a pound per square inch of their body, so it doesn't really hurt. And then optionally, it uh, it makes a squeaky noise when you hit somebody <laughs> with it. <laughs> Amazing. Extremely blunt warhammer. <laughs> well, you know, I do know a guy who likes hammers, so... That's true, <laughs> and... And I have a bunch of characters in Ravenloft who always find items that are in some way cursed. So all I'm going to say is this is going in my back pocket too. Oh man, Excellent. that's what I was what I was hoping for. Oh, I I if I hear this on the show, no, no pressure, but if I do know that somewhere there's a like nerding out fan who he- who hears that. <laughs> um, but y'all, thank you so much for coming on. You know, uh, it's kind of funny. We did a. A uh, review of one of our seasons a few uh, a while back, and one of the questions was, you know, who inspires our gameplay? And y'all have definitely inspired my gameplay. You know, I, Tom, all the, a lot of the stuff you use as a DM, I incorporate into my game, and so thank you for that. And then, and then Ryan, like I already said, you made me tear up over someone named Butthole. So uh, thank you, and also curse you for that. Um, <laughs> yep, it's a, I usually you're welcome, and I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But guys, thank you so much for your time. And, and uh, again, we, we can't thank you enough. This was totally awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks, thanks for lot, having guys. us. Thanks so much great. for having us.